Well, hey, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to our podcast. We're continuing our sermon series, Summer on the Mount, looking at Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, obviously. And today we have a bit of a special edition for you because we had a problem with our recording on Sunday, so we're actually re-recording this sermon just for you. So I hope that makes you feel special in some way as you're tuning in. And uh, today we are talking about judgmentalism or judging others, which Jesus addresses in Matthew chapter 7. And so I think we're just going to read the passage and hop right in. So in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus says this, Do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye. Then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. So Jesus obviously making some very poignant statements here about judging others. And of course, I think this is a really relevant topic. You could probably all agree with me because so much of this judgmentalism and judging others is what we live and breathe on a daily basis in our culture. It has become a normalized, acceptable behavior. And this is not new for humanity, as we're going to look at in a minute. But our ability to judge others is now sort of on a 24-7 global scale. And so much of what we do on a day-to-day basis or what we consume on a day-to-day basis, whether it be, you know, cable news media or or social media or entertainment media, our interactions with, with friends and family, so much of that communication is fueled by judgmentalism and accusation and judging others. And so it's just reinforced day in, day out in our lives and has become this normalized, acceptable behavior. Yet for us as Christians, judging others, I have it on good authority. I didn't have time to count them all up myself, but on good authority that judging others is the second most mentioned sin in the New Testament behind unbelief. And yet we have no protests or campaigns against it. There's no Bible studies that I'm aware of for small groups of freeing ourselves. There's no uh, from this bondage of judgmentalism or parachurch ministries trying to address this issue in the church, even though it is so rampant and so prevalent. It seems kind of odd to me. Maybe it does to you, too. But I can think of a few reasons why that might be. Maybe you know, we don't address it as much because it's hard to divorce it from our daily lives. It's just too, too personal. You know, we love to talk about other people's sins and write about other people's sins and call out other people's sins. But sometimes it's hard to really look at those things that are just so interwoven into our daily lives, sin that we're entangled with. Maybe that's it. Or maybe it's because, you know, this passage that we read in Matthew 7 has actually sort of replaced John 3.16 as the most popular verse in the Bible. It gets quoted so often, particularly by those outside of the church. And it honestly, it kind of uh, annoys us because it's misused or flaunted sometimes by nonbelievers as sort of this uh, catch-all shield 
to prevent people from criticizing or challenging any type of behavior. And so that just kind of annoys us a little bit. In fact, if you were to look up this passage online for different articles or whatever, you would find a lot of articles that address the misuse of this passage and how it gets uh, read out of context and misapplied, and yet less focus on, well, what is Jesus actually saying? Because he is telling us not to judge. So what does he mean by that, and how do we apply it? Or maybe it's because it's a little bit confusing. There's actually sort of an apparent contradiction in the New Testament. On the one hand, here in this passage, we're explicitly told not to judge by Jesus, but then in other passages, we're explicitly told by Jesus that we are to judge. He tells us, make righteous judgments. And so, what's going on? How come there's this sort of apparent contradiction here, and how are we supposed to understand these contradictory commands that are given to us? And so that's one of the reasons that we're taking sort of a two-week look at this, looking at, on the one hand, where we are told to judge or properly understood, maybe discern, where we are told to do that, and how do we do that? We're going to be looking at that in a couple of weeks. But then today, looking at this commandment where we are told not to judge clearly. And so I wanted to take a look at that. So I said, do not judge is one of the most, or judgmentalism is one of the most mentioned sins in the New Testament and this commandment not to judge. And so I actually want to read just a couple of passages for you just to help us get our head around the common themes where this subject's discussed in the New Testament. Kind of have that in the back of our mind as we move forward. I want to start reading uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 where Paul says this. He says, in fact, I do not even judge myself. For I'm not aware of anything against myself, but I'm not acquitted because of this. The one who judges me is the Lord. So then, do not judge anything before the time. Wait until the Lord comes. He will bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the motives of hearts. Then each will receive recognition from God. And one of the things I want to highlight in this passage is that Paul brings in this idea that God knows the hidden motives of the heart. Only God is the one who is aware of all the thousands of circumstances that are coming to bear on why somebody makes a certain decision or why they say they uh, say the things they do or act the way they do. Only God knows the hidden motives of the heart and the hidden motives of the mind, and we don't. And then in Romans chapter 14, verses 3 through 4, and then verses 10 through 13, Paul also says this. He says, The one who eats everything must not despise the one who does not, and the one who abstains must not judge the one who eats everything, for God has accepted him. Who are you to pass judgment on another servant? Before his own master he stands or falls, and he will stand, for the Lord is able to make him stand. But you who eat vegetables only, why do you judge your brother or sister? And you who eat everything, why do you despise your brother or sister? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow to me, and every tongue will give praise to God. Therefore each of us will give an account of himself to God. Therefore we must not pass judgment on one another, but rather determine never to place an obstacle or a trap before a brother or sister. And of course, 
couple of things that really stand out in this passage again is that it's God's job to judge. He is the judge and that we, it is him to who we give an account ultimately. In James 4 verses 11 through 12, James says this, do not speak against one another, brothers and sisters. He who speaks against a fellow believer or judges a fellow believer speaks against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law, but it's judge. But there is only one who is lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. On the other hand, who are you to judge your neighbor? Well, in some translations, it talks about slander in this passage. And Paul's, uh, James is bringing in this idea just of this, this uh, name-calling and, and false testimony and slandering one another. And how this self-righteousness, which is what Jesus is, is attacking in our passage here in, in Matthew chapter 7. This self-righteousness of where judging others puts ourselves above the law. We say we get to decide what is right and wrong and who's good and evil. We make ourselves the judge. We put ourselves in that position, making ourselves above the law. And this is self-righteousness at its core. Paul says in Romans chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, Therefore you are without excuse, whoever you are, when you judge someone else. For on whatever grounds you judge another, you condemn yourself, because you who judge practice the same things. Now we know that God's judgment is in accordance with truth against those who practice such things. And do you think, whoever you are, when you judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape God's judgment? Or do you have contempt for the wealth of his kindness, forbearance, and patience, and yet do not know that God's kindness leads you to repentance. Again, Paul highlights in this passage that only God judges in truth. He is the only one who has the full knowledge of all the circumstances and everything that's coming to bear on people's actions and, uh, and things that they say. He's the only one that has all that information. He's the only one who judges in truth. And then again, highlighting this idea of hypocrisy, which is what Jesus is highlighting again in our passage in Matthew chapter 7. That when we're judging others, we are obviously, either we don't understand, or we are forgetting the kindness and the mercy and the patience that God has shown us that led us to repentance and being unwilling to extend that to somebody else. So those are some of the some of the ideas and the themes, just a few of the many scriptures in the New Testament that talk about this passage. But then the big question, I guess, is what exactly is judging? And again, this can be a bit confusing because of the different ways the word is used. And in fact, um, the word to judge or judge has the same problem in English as it does in Greek. It can be used in a number of different ways, depending on the context in which it's used. So the Greek word krino, which defined, means these any number of different things. It means properly to distinguish or to decide, to try, to condemn, to punish, to avenge, to conclude, to damn, to decree, to determine, to esteem, to ordain, to call into question, to sentence, or to think. And so you kind of see that there's this spectrum of ideas that 
can be expressed using this word judge. So, you know, on the one hand, you just have to think or to distinguish, to differentiate between two things. Or on the other extreme end of the spectrum, you have to damn somebody to hell. And so there's quite a uh, spectrum of ideas that can be expressed using this uh, using the term judge, both in English and in Greek. But practically speaking, then, just to sort of cut to the chase for the sake of time, what are we talking about? Well, when the scriptures talk about judging, on the one hand, discerning or distinguishing this type of talk and what we're going to talk about in the next message in this series in two weeks, that's fine. So, for example, she is a good singer. He's a bad singer. This is a good idea. That's not a good idea. Or as the New Testament talks about with prophecy, it says, let two or three prophesy and let the others judge. Let the others distinguish. Let the others determine. Oh yeah, this this is from the Lord. This is a prophetic word for us. Or this one, maybe not prophetic, it's just a, a good piece of advice, but it's not necessarily uh, a word from the Lord for us. So those things are fine. But then on the other end of the spectrum and what the New Testament is forbidding us from doing is where we enter into attacking others' identity or their worth or their value, calling those into question, presuming that we know the motives and thoughts of others, this slander and name-calling and false accusation that we enter into. All this self-righteousness is all forbidden. And specifically in, in, in language, when we're interacting with each other, what seems to have become so common today is, is what is being forbidden. So, for example, he is worthless. She thinks she's better than everyone else. Well, she's just a liberal idiot. He's just a right-wing moron. Well, those people, they're just charismatic crazies. Those folks, they're just fundamentalist Pharisees. Or the granddaddy of them all. You're going to hell. All of this language says, I'm better than you. You're not as good as me. You are less worthy than me. It makes us the arbiter of right and wrong and good and evil. And it is all self-righteousness that Jesus is the hypocrisy that Jesus is calling out in our passage here in Matthew, in Matthew 7. And one of the sort of the telltale signs of us entering into judgmentalism, what I think most of us experience almost on a daily basis is where we are more angered. We get so worked up and anxious and stressed out about other people's words, about other people's actions and about their sin. We're so much more angry and stressed and worked up about that than we are embarrassed and concerned about the sin in our own lives. And that's a telltale sign. Of judgmentalism. But what's the big deal? What's the big deal? Like I said, I mean, it's just so common nowadays. It's, it's almost unquestioned, I think, in so many of our interactions. You know, what's the big deal, right? A little judgy here, a little judgy there. Maybe I called somebody a name. Maybe I labeled and dismissed somebody over here in this little post that I put online. What's the big deal? Well, I give you three reasons that I think it is really a big deal. Three of the best reasons that I know. And not to put too fine a point on it, but number one, one of the reasons that this is such a big deal, and I think why the New Testament 
places so much emphasis on it is because is it is satanic in nature. When we engage in judgmentalism and judging others, we are becoming willing participants in the primary agenda of Satan for the destruction of mankind and for causing chaos in the earth. It's kind of a big statement, but let's go back and look in Genesis chapter 2 and take a quick refresher as to what happened there. In Genesis chapter 2, 16 through 17, and then in chapter 3, 1 through 6, it says this. Then the Lord God commanded the man, You may freely eat fruit from every tree of the orchard, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will surely die. Now the serpent was more shrewd than any of the wild animals that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Is it really true that God said you must not eat from any tree of the orchard? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit from the trees of the orchard, but concerning the fruit of the tree that's in the middle of the orchard, God said, You must not eat from it, and you must not touch it, or else you will die. The serpent said to the woman, Surely you will not die. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will open, and you will be like divine beings who know good and evil. When the woman saw that the tree produced fruit and that it was good for food was attractive to the eye and was desirable for making one wise, she took some of its fruit and ate it. She also gave some of it to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Now there's a lot of interesting theological questions in this passage, but what I want to point out to you is, is I could ask you in, in a question. Here's a question for you. Did Adam and Eve know right and wrong before they ate the fruit from the tree? The answer to this is yes, they did know right from wrong. But the difference was that everything was in its proper order. God was the judge. God determined what was good and evil. It was whatever was consistent with his character and his will that was good. And whatever was inconsistent or against his character and will that was evil. And God was the determiner of good and evil. But Adam and Eve took it upon themselves through through the prompting of the serpent, they began to question, is God really a good judge? Should he really be the only one that decides these things? We are going to take it on ourselves. We are going to take it upon ourselves, this knowledge of good and evil. And so the original sin was about accusation and judgment, questioning God's motives and goodness. And then, of course, it quickly turned into Adam accusing Eve, right? Judgmentalism. She's evil. And the very hypocrisy that we see Jesus calling out in his passage where Adam refuses to see the plank in his own eye. But no, she's the one that's evil. She's the one that's to blame. And it's the seedbed of all sin is this judgment and accusation. Self-righteousness. Taking the knowledge of good and evil upon ourselves. And you see the same narrative, interestingly, played out in the book of Job. The first book of the Bible that was written. You know, it's kind of this foundational idea. We see it played out again. Satan appears at the beginning of the book. Stirs up judgment and accusation against Job. And then we see humanity just begin to participate in that satanic ag agenda as Job accuses God of being a false judge. 
of being unrighteous. And Job's friends accusing him, Job, well, you must have, we know you've got sin in your life, Job. It doesn't really matter what you say. We know your heart. So you see this played out, this fundamental satanic agenda for the destruction of mankind played out in Genesis and the book of Job. And we continue in this sin to this day. And I'm afraid that we just don't even question it. And what's so serious about it, like why Satan would make this a primary agenda, one of the reasons is because by participating in his agenda, it keeps us from fulfilling God's primary agenda and calling for us on our lives. You know, our primary mission, Jesus sums up pretty well in Matthew 22, 36 through 40, when he says, Teacher, which commandment in the law is the greatest? And Jesus said to him, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and all of the prophets depend on these two commandments. Or in other translations, all law and prophets hang on these two commandments. If you don't get these two right, you will not get any of it right. And by participating in the satanic agenda of judgment and accusation, it prevents us from accomplishing either of these things well. Jesus says, why do you call me Lord when you don't do what I say? So many will call me Lord, Lord on that day, and yet I never really knew them. Why do you call me Lord when you don't do what I say? And this is one of the commandments that's most repeated in the New Testament. How can we love him well? When we refuse to obey one of his commandments that is causing so much destruction and so much chaos and is putting a wedge between us and our fellow men and women, humanity. When we label and dismiss others, when we say, I'm better than you, when we judge them and accuse others, it drives people away. Nobody wants to be around somebody who's judging and accusing them, right? And then, and we end up avoiding people. And so often in the church, whether we mean to do it or not, but by participating in this type of judgmentalism, we send this message out that, well, God loves you, but I don't really like you. I don't really want you around. I don't approve of you. And who wants to be around that? I don't. Is it any surprise that so many people are trying to find God outside of the church? And when we, uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer in his book, The Cost of Discipleship, says this, Judging others makes us blind, whereas love is illuminating. By judging others, we blind ourselves to our own evil and to the grace which others are just as entitled to as we are. Judging others puts this wedge between us and God and us and others. And judging means we become the arbiters of who will receive God's grace and who won't. We so easily forget that kindness and that grace and that patience that led us to repentance. And because we disapprove of somebody else, we decide that we're not going to extend that same grace and mercy and patience to them. We're not going to allow the Spirit of God to work through us to extend that same thing to them that we had so freely received. 
So it's a big deal because we're participating in the fundamental satanic strategy for the destruction of humanity. And that is keeping us or distracting us from doing our two main purposes well of loving God and loving our neighbor. And then as Jesus says in our passage today in Matthew 7, it will not be without consequence. He says, for the measure you use will be used against you. The way that you judge is the way you will be judged. This standard that you hold everybody else to, that you don't even hold yourself to, you will be held to that same standard. And there's a little bit of debate out there as to whether or not Jesus is talking about sort of temporal judgment in this life, sort of a reaping of what you sow. If you are this type of person, it's going to come back on you in this life. Certainly, I think that is true. I think primarily, though, Jesus is talking about the age to come. He's talking about the great judgment where Paul talks about how our works will be tried and those things that are worthless will be burned up and whatever remains, those precious stones and jewels, we will be rewarded for those things. And all of this judging that we do, an accusation of one another, that will all be exposed as worthless. And I don't know about you, but I don't want the temporal judgment, nor do I want the other kind of judgment. I'd rather not have any of it. But Jesus says that we will reap what we sow and there will not be consequence. So we're participating in the primary satanic agenda. It's distracting us from loving God and loving one another, which is our primary mission. And it will come home to roost one day. It's not going unnoticed. And so we should repent of it and turn from it, which is where we conclude that's what we need to do. We need to repent of this. We need to change our thinking. We need to repent of the pride of usurping God's role as judge and not embracing our role of love for him, obedience to him, and love for our neighbor. Not treating others as we would desire to be treated. And cutting off others from the flow of God's love and grace and mercy that we have so freely received. And why not unload ourselves of this burden? God is not asking it of us to be the judge of mankind. That's his job. And yet so much of our stress, so much of our anxiety on a day-to-day -day basis is trying to control others, is trying to judge others in ways that we are not called to do and repenting from those things, but embracing humility. And as Jesus talks about, you know, that we have this plank in our own eye, that the sin in our own lives, our own shortcomings should look like this plank sticking out of our eye to us. It should be that obvious to us. And the sins of our brothers and sisters should seem like a speck in their eyes. We need to prioritize our own healing from Sin, which will help give us compassion for others. And one thing that's just universally true, Richard Rohr po points out in his book, A Spring Within Us, uh, a book of daily meditations that he wrote. He says, pain that is not transformed will always be transmitted. Pain that's not transformed will always be transmitted. Or you could put it another way, sin that is not healed will always be transmitted. And as it relates to what we're talking about today, so often, in fact, more often than not, when we engage in this behavior of judging others, of accusation, of slander, of putting others down, 
So often, it's just because we have all of our own unhealed pain and trauma and sin, and it comes out of us sideways in judging others. Because when we put others down, when we judge others, when we blame and accuse others instead of looking at ourselves, for a minute we don't have to deal with our own problems, but we can feel better about ourselves. We can feel superior than everyone else, even for a minute. So my question is, what are we going to choose? This isn't a new sin, but as I talked about earlier, our global exposure of our own sin and everyone else's sin is at, is at a whole new level these days. Our ability to judge others 24-7 has reached a whole new plateau. And, you know... We have to be honest with ourselves. Every poll that's out there says the number one reason people aren't interested in Christianity is because of judgmentalism. And we have to ask ourselves honestly in humility, is there something to that? Yes, everybody is engaging in judgmentalism. It it fuels our culture in so many of our interactions. But we're the ones that are called to be different. And is there a way in which we have participated in the culture that is unbiblical and ungodly and is forbidden repeatedly in the New Testament? And, you know, things haven't been going so well many days uh, for the church in America these days. And I can't help but wonder, you know, yes, we should absolutely, we need to pray. Absolutely, we need to re-up our commitment to taking the gospel to our neighbors, but I can't help but wonder if we will not let go of hypocrisy and the sin of judgmentalism, can we expect any different results? We have such an opportunity to be salt and light, to be what the fruit of the Spirit is supposed to be of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, and self-control. People are longing for that, and we are the ones who have it to offer by the power of the Spirit. And so will we repent and turn from hypocrisy and judgmentalism and accusation and blaming others? And will we embrace the mission of God, of loving him and loving others in the, in the fruit of the Spirit? Are we going to choose to treat others the way that we would want to be treated? Are we going to view others and judge others the way we would want them to judge us? And so let's just pray as we conclude. Father, we thank you so much for your word. I thank you that you haven't left us in the dark. I thank you that you haven't left us as orphans, God, but you have shown us your way. Lord, and today we just offer ourselves to you anew, Lord. We say that you are God, that you are good, that you are a righteous and holy judge. And Lord, today we just open ourselves before you, Lord, and we say, God, would you cleanse us? of hypocrisy. God, would you cleanse us of judgmentalism where we've entered into and become complicit in this satanic agenda for the destruction of humanity, where we have just embraced the culture around us unthinking. Lord, I pray 
that you would cleanse us of it. God, I pray that you would do, Holy Spirit, do your good work in us. Lord, expose the things, the wrong ways in us, Lord. We ask that you would pinpoint it in our lives, Lord. Lord, if this is us, Lord, show us so that we can turn from it. God, help us to love as you love. Help us to be a conduit of your love and grace and mercy and long-suffering for others. Lord, I pray that we would be your salt and your light in this generation in a new way. Lord, we just ask that you would do it in Jesus' name. Well, thank you for tuning in once again. And uh, God bless you as you go about your week. Amen.